Well, it's a real privilege to be here again with you. Uh, it, it's great, you know, it, because I always feel like it helps me uh, to improve my Afrikaans. Because whenever I come back, you know, it, it's usually, uh, I'm starting in worship, and usually that first song or that second song, I'm struggling to understand. You know, and by the third song, like today, I'm really understanding the Afrikaans so clearly and I'm just singing right along with it. And it's just kind of an amazing thing. And it's probably a tribute to Johan's uh, worship leadership. By the way, Johan is one of my favorite worship leaders. Uh, I, you know, you've got to realize how blessed you are uh, to have Johan. And, and all the, the people that you have here are great. Uh, and they've been brilliant. And so uh, it's just a real privilege. It's one of the reasons I love to come here is uh, just to listen to Johan lead worship and uh, be able to worship along with that. So uh, thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for canceling your long weekend just to be here today. Uh, there, there are extra, extra merits in heaven, I'm sure. You know, you've gotten a gold brick for your mansion or something in heaven uh, because you've done that. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look today at Romans chapter 8. Uh, and I'm going to do something today that I don't normally do, uh, and I, I think this might be one of the first times I've ever done this, uh, preaching here at the SAC, I'm going to preach a message to you that I haven't even preached yet to City Temple. Uh, so uh, you get, to, you get a, a new one. You can give me feedback, you know, help me craft it and everything like that. But uh, Romans chapter 8, one of the great chapters of Scripture, a great chapter to memorize if you're able to do that kind of thing. We're going to pick up with verse 12. And Father, we pray that you'd open your word to us, that as we read it, we might understand it and live it out to the glory of Jesus. Amen. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the present sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I'm going to give you a riddle, and uh, I've been using this riddle for quite a number of years. I don't think I've ever used this riddle here. 
and I'm going to see if you can figure it out. Now, this riddle is true. It's not something that I've made up. It's something that's actually uh, absolutely true, uh, and it's about me. And uh, in all the years that I've done this, I've only had one person ever figure it out, and I had to coach him quite a bit, and I had mercy on him because he's a teenager, and he's one of my godchildren, so uh, uh, I let him get away with that. So here's the riddle. I am the oldest son of my parents. I am the youngest son of my parents, but I am not the only son of my parents. I am the oldest son of my parents. I am the youngest son of my parents, but I'm not the only son of my parents. How is that possible? Think about it for a moment. <clears throat> Think if you can figure that out. You know, some people uh, have given lots of wrong answers. Uh, like they'll say, I, ha I have a sister. Well, unless my sister has had a sex change operation, it doesn't count. Uh, I do have a sister, and I can guarantee you she hasn't had a sex change operation. So it can't be that. Uh, in, in the past, people say, well, you're an only child. Well, I'm not the only son of my parents, so how can I be the only child? Anybody think that they figured it out? Yeah, I won't put you on the spot to give the answer. If you think you figured it out, raise your hand. Nobody? Okay, we got one. Okay, so you can test your answer against the reality. I'm adopted. So my birth parents had three sons that I know of, uh, and I'm the youngest of the three. Uh, and my adoptive parents have two children, and I'm the oldest of the two, and I have a younger sister. Uh, and so that's how uh, I, you know, fit in this riddle. And very few people figure this out. I won't put you on the spot to see if you figure that out. You can tell me later if you want to, uh, and I'll give you the thousand-pound prize that I've been offered. Oh, no, that... No, I'm sorry, that was in another place I was doing this. I, I forgot that. Uh, so, but it, this, this whole idea of being adopted is something that's very, very important to me. Uh, when I, it's, I've never had a problem with the idea that I was adopted. I know a lot of people struggle with their adoption, but when I was a child, I've known I was adopted since I was very young. And uh, so I, I'd be at school, you know, and I could say to my fellow schoolmates, if they irritated me, I'd say, you know, my parents got to pick me. Yours were stuck with the end product, you know, <laughs> things like that. So I love being adopted. And actually, uh, I, I'm, I'm a thrice adopted person. I'm, I'm really blessed. I'm three times blessed because not only did my parents adopt me, but also my daughter adopted me. Karen and I weren't able to have children, and about 10 years ago, a young woman adopted us as uh, her parents. Uh, she's from Hong Kong, uh, and uh, she now has two beautiful children uh, who are really our grandkids, uh, two grandsons, and, uh, and of course, she married a, a wonderful English guy that I had to hire as my associate pastor because I needed to keep the grandkids close. Uh, so, uh, so that's great. So if you ever meet Paul and Samui up, upstairs uh, with City Temple, uh, you'll know that's uh, my daughter and her husband and Micah and Judah. Uh, Judah was just born in April. Micah is about two and a half years old. And so very excited about that. And then, of course, as a Christian, I've been adopted by my Heavenly Father. So I am thrice adopted, and I think adoption is wonderful. And I love being particularly a son of my Heavenly Father. In fact, I would say this statement, which uh, uh, hopefully will be a little bit shocking. Unless 
the church and Christians, unless Christians stop thinking of themselves as servants of God and start thinking of themselves as sons of God, the church will never move into its destiny and will never be a real influence in the world. Let me say it again. Unless, children, uh, unless Christians stop thinking of themselves as servants of God and start thinking of themselves as sons of God, the church will never fully move into its destiny and will never fully have the impact in the world that God intends for it to have. Now, um, immediately, when I, I mention sons of God, of course, women start getting their hackles up because they're thinking, okay, you know, what's this sexist language? You know, I thought we were in the 21st century, and boy, this sounds too much like 19th century, 18th century, uh, uh, subversive, you know, um, uh, masculine-dominated cultural language. Uh, and uh, so don't you mean sons and daughters? No, I mean sons. I mean sons. Women, you need to think of yourselves as sons of God. Now, why is that? It's because biblically, from a biblical understanding, only sons gained an inheritance. Daughters did not get an inheritance. Only sons would inherit from their father. And so when God calls women sons of God, he is saying, women, you are equal with men in terms of your inheritance before your father in heaven. So it's theologically very important, women, for you to think of yourselves as sons of God. And after all, if I can think of myself as the bride of Christ, come on, you can think of yourselves as sons of God. At least you don't have to wear one of those silly wedding dresses, you know, like I would have. Okay, you're getting the picture in your mind. Uh, you know, so, so God has a way of messing with us that way, calling us men the bride of Christ as part of the church and calling you women sons of God. But that is very, very important that you understand that you are sons of God. Now, the other objection that comes up is people say, well, well aren't we supposed to be servants of God? And this is what I would say. Every son serves his father, but not every servant is a son. Every son serves his father, but not every servant is a son. If you are a genuine son of God, your passion will be to honor and serve your father. But not all servants, even those who call themselves servants of God, have a passion to exalt the father. There are a lot of servants in the church of Jesus Christ today that are serving God simply because of what they get out of it. And there are a lot of churches that are filled with people serving God who are there because they think that if they serve God, then they'll get healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that may not happen. And if you're serving God because what you get out of it, that dishonors God. It doesn't honor God. That's why we need to be sons. Now, the question is, how do we become sons? And very, very clearly, we become sons of God through the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we become sons of God. And that is what we are. It's as, as we come and surrender our lives to God through Jesus Christ, uh, acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross for us, paying the price of our sins, setting us free from bondage to sin, death, and hell, and then Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rose from the dead bodily on the third day. And as we place our faith in Him, by the grace of God, 
we are saved. By the grace of God, we become children of God. By the grace of God, we then become sons of God. And that's what we are. Jesus said to his disciples the night before he went to the cross. He said, listen guys, no longer do I call you servants. I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm going to call you friends. And we're friends of Jesus and friends of the Father as sons. Paul says it very clearly and very explicitly in Galatians chapter 3, which we'll look at next week. He says, you are no longer slaves, but sons. So being a son of God defines our reality. Being a son of God is who we are in Jesus Christ. We are all sons of God. And we need to understand that, we need to embrace that, and we need to live in the light of that reality. We need to allow that uh, understanding, that biblical understanding, to shape our understanding of ourselves, to shape how we live in the world, to shape how we act, to shape how we behave, to shape how we conduct our lives and our relationships. Now why is that? Why is it important? Well, first of all, we need the confidence of sons we need the confidence of sons as you live as you serve the lord as you minister you need the confidence of sons what kind of confidence do sons have especially sons of god we have the confidence of our royal identity now we all love uh, william and harry and the princes and and the world's kind of uh, captivated with them and i, I like them too I, I particularly like william uh, Harry gets a little bit wild for me sometimes, but I, I particularly uh, like William. I, I enjoy that, and uh, you know, and I, and I love how William is, is is actually doing jobs. You know, he's flying helicopters and things like that. Uh, you know, acting like just an everyman, and, and that's really cool. I love that. But at the same time, uh, and I and I love what, and I'm not critical at all of this. Uh, I really love the kinds, uh, the way that he engages with a lot of things. But at the same time, sometimes I want to scream at the TV, "Get real, man! You're a prince. Come on, you can pretend to be like everybody else, but the reality of who you are, you are a prince, because you're a son of a prince who's the son of the queen." Now, for us, I want to say the same thing to Christians. Get real. You are sons of God. You have a royal pedigree. You are brothers with Jesus Christ. Jesus is our elder brother. Jesus is our Lord. He is our leader. He is the only begotten Son of God. But we've all been adopted as sons. And so we need to have that confidence of our, our royal identity. When you go to work tomorrow, doesn't matter if you're a janitor cleaning floors or if you're the managing director of the biggest bank in the United Kingdom, if you are a Christian, you go to work as a son of God. And you need to understand that and need to walk into the workplace understanding your royal identity. You need the confidence that as a son of God, you are important, you are significant. God has something for you as his son that he doesn't share with any other son. God gives us a unique calling, a unique importance, things to do that really make a difference. We don't always see the difference that it makes, but it really makes a difference. You need the confidence uh, of your security as a son. Now, 
I've never met a Christian parent, at least. I know, sadly, there are some parents in the world, but I've never met a healthy parent, especially a Christian parent, that would just casually throw away their child. Now, even when my birth mother placed me for adoption, I know it was a painful, difficult decision for her to make. Nobody makes that kind of thing lightly because everything in us wants to hold our children close to us and protect them. How much more true is that going to be for God as our Heavenly Father? And how much more capable is God of doing that than we are? You need to know the acceptance as a son. You know, God is not looking for you to fail. Uh, I kind of liken it to uh, a little bit of of, uh, children learning how to walk. How many of you have kids? Yeah, a few of you there. Uh, With your children, how many of your children are walking? Do you have children who walk? Okay, several of you. So your kids had to learn how to walk. So when they were taking, trying to take that first step, you know, when, when mom, because it's usually the mom that's holding the child and kind of encouraging the child on, it's usually the dad on the other side saying, get your backside over here, kid. Uh, and, and so you're, you're engaging in that, and the, chil- and the child takes, a, takes the first step there and, and then falls. How many of you go, bad boy, bad child? Get up off that floor and start walking again. How terrible of you. I'm so ashamed and embarrassed that you fell down. I expected you to get it right the first time. Anybody ever do that? My parents didn't do that. I've never met a parent, even a bad parent, that's done that. Because that's not how parents behave. Our Heavenly Father doesn't behave that way toward us either. You know, he knows every misstep you're going to take. He knows every fall that you're going to make, and yet he chooses you as his son. And you need to live with that confidence of your acceptance as a son. You also need to live uh, with the, the confidence, or you need to have the ministry of a son. You need the ministry of a son. Now, how does a son pray? Uh, well, you think about a son uh, coming up, or, or I think about uh, Micah, my grandson, who's not really my son, but my grandson, and he comes up and he'll ask me for something, and he'll come up to me and, and pop a rod, and I'll say yes, uh, and then he'll ask for something, and then my heart melts and I give it to him. You know, that, that's just the, the nature of that dynamic. Uh, but how does a servant, you know, how does a servant pray? Oh, oh, Master God in heaven, I'm such a miserable worm. I don't deserve anything from you because I'm so terrible and awful and sinful and, and, and I, I know that you just want to strike me down at any time and I'm the most worthless, uh, useless servant that you probably ever had in, in, in all of history and, and I'm so terribly sorry, but you know, please, 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 could, could, could I have something to eat today? Now that's kind of a servant approach and I've known Christians that take that kind of approach to prayer. A son's approach to prayer is, hey, Dad, can we heal a few sick people today? Dad, would you give me an opportunity to uphold your honor today in the marketplace? Dad, I'm really struggling in this situation. I don't understand how it's all going to play out. I don't understand how it's all going to work. But uh, but I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to step forward in confidence that you're going to use me to bring honor and glory to your name. And that's exactly what I want to do as your faithful son radically different approach now, when we're sons when we're servants praying for a sick person 
You know, we'll do so tentatively with no confidence at all, you know, thinking, well, hopefully God may want to heal a few sick people. If you're a son praying for a sick person, you get right on in there, you start praying for the sick person, you pray for the sick person with the confidence that God wants to heal the person, that God would heal, will heal the person, unless God in his infinite wisdom knows things a little bit more than we do and decides that he needs to go a different course of action. And then as sons, we simply trust that our father knows best and we go along with that. So it transforms the way that we do ministry. Uh, if you're up and uh, I, I remember a, a story about a, a young man who was asked by the leaders in his church to pray one Sunday and, uh, and, and he got up there and he was stumbling over his words. He was a little bit nervous and everything like that. He didn't use any these or thous or any flowery language. And, and so the leaders after the service, they gathered around him and said, hey, you know, thank you for praying today. And then they started, they took five, ten minutes telling him everything he did wrong and the way he could do better and, and all of that. And afterwards, uh, he kind of looked at them all and said, okay, is that it? And they said, yes. Uh, are you finished? Yes. I wasn't talking to you. He was talking to his father. And it transformed he did ministry, the way he prayed, the way he lived his life. You also need the authority of sons. You need the authority of sons. Now, the servants, they only have a limited amount of authority. And servants can only represent their master insofar as they have explicit instructions to do so, unless they're a head steward that's been given charge over the whole house. Sons, though, when sons speak... In the old, in, in biblical times, when sons would speak, it was almost always understood that they were speaking on behalf of the father. That what the son said, especially as the son was engaging in the father's business, that what the son said represented what the father was saying. That's the kind of authority that we have. That's why when we bless people, you know, we, we, we have this custom that someone sneezes or coughs, we say, bless you, and that's, that's fine. But actually, you know, as a Christian, you can pronounce words of blessing over your business, over your lives, over your family, or your ministry that has power when they reflect what the Bible says, when they reflect what the Father is saying. And that blessing that you speak really does have power to change things. You have that kind of authority. That means as well that when the Father sends you on his business, whether it's in the marketplace, your job, or something like that, if, if demons kind of erupt around you, and that happens from time to time, I mean, how many times have you ever been with a coworker or near a coworker, and you're thinking thoughts about Jesus, and all of a sudden that coworker starts swearing and effing this and effing that? And you think, what's going on here? Well, you've just probably witnessed some kind of demonic manifestation there. This happens all the time around us. Uh, a lot of times we just kind of ignore it or we don't want to think about it because we start to think about it and we get afraid of it and, and we've watched horror films that totally distort the reality of what's going on and, and on and on and on. We have such a distorted idea when actually we have the authority of sons over the demonic. We share Jesus' authority. Scriptures are clear with that. We're seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Paul said in Ephesians. We also have a son's authority over sin. That's why Paul said, hey, in this passage, don't be a slave to sin. Don't go back and do that sinning stuff. Just keep in step with the Holy Spirit. You don't want to do that. You don't have to do that anymore. 
yeah, we still fail, we still mess up, things still happen in our lives, but you don't have to sin anymore because you have a son's authority over sin. The world does not have to influence you. You have a son's authority over the influence of the world around you. So you need to understand yourself as a son because if you just think of yourself as a servant and just trying to get by, uh, 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 you know, and just kind of miserable and all that, you will often fail when you're conflict, uh, confronted with the world, the flesh, or the devil. So you need a sense of your authority as a son. You also need to know that you have a reward as a son, that every single one of us have a reward from the Father. The Father will say to us, you know, hopefully, well done, good and faithful servant, my son. The Father wants to bless us wants to give us that reward and has already done so by giving us the Holy Spirit. If you are a son, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you as a guarantee of your full inheritance. That's what sons have. That's why we get gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, you know, let's just keep in step with the Holy Spirit because everybody who's led by the Spirit of God is a son of God the Son of God. And so we need to know you have that reward. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And also, we need to know that we have the relationship of sons with our Father. We have the relationship of sons with our Father. Now, most of us, if you're like me, you probably had a fractious relationship at some point in time with your earthly father. I know I did with mine. Um, most people I've talked to have with theirs and sometimes daddy issues can really crop up in our lives until we understand that our true sonship and the true fatherhood in our lives is the relationship we have with our father God Paul tells us in this passage that the spirit enables us to cry out Abba father and Abba is daddy it's the intimate expression of a son's relationship with the father. And that's the relationship that every single one of us have with our heavenly father. Whether you're a man or a woman, that is the relationship you have, that intimate relationship of a son with the father. Except in this case, the father is perfect. We can have confidence that the father will never do anything wrong. We can have confidence that the father loves us. We can have confidence that the father is for us. And in our lives, in a, a real sense, the Christian life is about being responsible for our relationship with our Father, not the results of our lives. We need to focus more on that relationship and keeping that relationship strong than we do worrying about the results that we get. Realizing that as long as we maintain that healthy relationship with our Heavenly Father, that God will deal with results. Also, from the outflow of this relationship of a son with a father, we can be confident of God's grace over our lives. I don't worry about when I'm going to fail. Failure is not an ever-present reality in my mind. I fail. I fail a lot. But that is not a defining reality for me. I don't have to worry about failure because I know when I do fail that I have a heavenly father who loves me, who wants me to succeed, and who will lavish his grace on me, pick me back up, and set me on a path of success 
and fruitfulness and love and significance and transformation in the world simply because I am his son. And this reality, this relationship reality of a son with a father animates our Christianity, animates what we do as Christians and gives us the confidence to do it boldly and faithfully. So how do we grow in this? How do we grow in this reality? Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about our responsibility of sons. If we understand ourselves as sons, what do we do? Especially in the context of that relationship with our father. So we'll be looking at that next week. But how do we grow in this reality? If we need to grow in the reality, if we need to have this reality, you know, percolate through our entire mind, soul, uh, heart, mind, and, and emotions... Uh, if, if we need this reality to be everywhere in our lives, to animate our choices and so on, how do we grow in it? How do we grow in it? Well, first, we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves as little children relating to our Father. One of the biggest obstacles that we face as Christians from living in this reality is that we think we're bigger than we actually are. And that's especially true when you get hair the color of mine. Now, I've been walking with the Lord now for 40 years. Uh, I've been preaching for 37, 38 years. Uh, and I've been in ordained, professional ordained ministry for 26, 27 years, something like that. I, I'm, you know, it's a sign of my gray hair that I'm forgetting dates and things uh, like that. So it's really tempting. You've been around that long. You've been around the block. I've seen things come and go. I've seen all the kinds of Christian fads and all that. It, it's tempting to think, you know, I've been around a while. I really know what's going on. I have my act together, and I'm a big, mature Christian. And I'm going out into the world as a big, mature Christian, and I'm going to have influence uh, because I know a lot, uh, and I'm really mature. And it's that temptation. But you know what? If I did that, it would be a lie. Because I am nothing more than, at best, a two-year-old compared to God. God is so much greater than we are, we cannot begin to fathom it. I have a friend that did a mathematical equation to determine how much greater God is than we are. And the equation is infinity to the eighth power. That's infinity times infinity eight times. You cannot conceive how big that is. And that's it. At, at minimum, that's the difference between us and God. I mean, that's huge. That's huge. That's about like a computer today uh, compared to a calculator uh, 30, 40 years ago. And they're not even in the same league. They, they don't even begin to compare. And so we need to understand that we are like little children. That's why Jesus said, unless you become like one of these little children, you'll not enter into the kingdom of God. If you think you know it all and you have it all together, you won't enter into the kingdom of God. You won't experience all that God has for you because you're going to think that you're smarter than you are, that you're stronger than you are, that you're more powerful than you are. And so the first step to walking in this reality is to humble yourself and realize you're like a little child. I often use this word, uh, this picture, to describe because you know, sometimes we go through difficult times and sometimes it's hard to understand. And so imagine a child who uh, maybe 18 months, uh, 24 months old, 
uh, has a catastrophic injury, uh, maybe uh, a broken arm, uh, you know, not terribly catastrophic, but, you know, enough that, uh, that they're deeply wounded. You go to the hospital, taking your child to the hospital. The doctor says, listen, uh, you know, I, we can fix this arm. Your child's going to be fine. But the problem is, because of your, your child's age, I don't think that we can give him the kind of anesthetic that he really would need to mask the pain. So I have to set his arm, and I can't give him any anesthetic to do so. So I need you to hold him down while I'm setting his arm. Now imagine holding your child down while the doctor does something absolutely essential to save your child's life that hurts your child so very much, and your child's looking in your eyes and said, Daddy, I don't understand. Why are you hurting me like this? Why are you doing this to me? Now magnify that difference in understanding by, oh, whatever big number you want to pick. And that's the difference in understanding between us and God. There are so many things we just don't get. So we need to humble ourselves. If you don't humble yourself, you won't walk into this reality. Second thing, you need to keep choosing to believe what the Bible says is true. I guarantee you, tomorrow, well, not, maybe not tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, because you've got a long weekend, so you might feel like a sun tomorrow. Tuesday morning, you get up, have to get up early, have to go to work. You're not going to feel very sun-like, especially when you're in, you know, in the central line, if it's not striked again, and, and you're going like this with everybody else, and say, oh, excuse me, and you finally get out after five minutes waiting at the station, or you miss the and you have to go back. You know, that's happened before. Uh, you know, you're not going to feel very sun-like. That's the point in time you need to say, you know, I am a son, because that's what the Bible says is true. That's what the Bible says is true. And you need to believe that. You need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. And he will always lead you like a son. Just cooperate with that. You need to keep renewing your minds with the truth. Keep renewing your mind every day as you're walking. I'm a son, I'm a son, I'm a son. Keep renewing your mind with the truth that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Keep renewing your mind with the reality there. And you need to remember that you will learn obedience just like Jesus did by what he suffered. That's Hebrews chapter 5. Now, if Jesus as the son, as the perfect son of the father, had to learn obedience, guess what? You're going to have to learn obedience too. And the truth is, none of us learns obedience the easy way. We all choose the hard way. And, and even educational people know this. That's why people have to take exams. You ever think about that? If everybody was perfectly self-motivated and got in there and studied and learned everything, no university would have to give an exam. But the fact is, we're all fundamentally lazy. And so we need the fear of an exam sometimes to motivate us to do what we need to do. We need sometimes pain and difficulty in order for us to learn. But we knew that with the reality that we can trust our Heavenly Father. And finally, we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the perfect Son you will become like that which you focus on. And so if you focus on Jesus, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, Hebrews 12, you will naturally become more like him. And you will naturally begin to walk into this reality of your sonship. 
It's time for us as Christians to rise up and accept, receive, and embrace our destiny as sons of God. As Paul says, the whole creation is groaning in eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. The world needs it like never before. Will you rise up as a son? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for the word. Thank you, Lord, that we are sons of God. We love you and we praise you and we honor you in that reality. And I pray for each person here that you would cause them to grow in their understanding of themselves as sons of God and all that means. Cause them to rise up in that understanding, to begin to live out of that understanding. And in doing so, see more fruit in their lives, have more confidence in their Christian faith, and to live their lives knowing that as a son, you desire to use them to transform the world so that your kingdom will come and your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us as sons be part of that kingdom work. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.